Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. December is officially here, which means it's Listener Favorites Month. All this month, we'll be listening to programs that you, our listeners, have told us are your favorites. Our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino and Bill Federer, kick off Listener Favorites Month with a look at the history of socialism. Is socialism the dream of an ideal society, or is it a totalitarian nightmare? Well, Bill Federer is our guest, and we're going to discuss his book, Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. You know, friends, one of the things that makes this socialism book so wonderful and important is that it shows how the deep state capitalizes on crises to consolidate control. And of course, COVID-19 has been a worldwide crisis. So I think this is extremely relevant. Bill Federer is a careful researcher and a careful student of history, and we really appreciate him. And I know our listeners appreciate him as well. Many people today have questions about socialism, and Bill's book, Socialism, will prepare you to think critically about socialism. It will also help you to help others to think critically about this important subject. Bill, it's so great to have you on the show once again. Hey, Larry. Great to be with you. You talk about God and country issues. Why is this really an important issue today, especially today in 2022? Well, the instituting of socialism is a bait and switch, and it (laughs) promises heaven, delivers hell, the dream turns into a nightmare. Plato's the first one that talked about everybody owning everything in common, and it sounds nice until you think it through. Somebody has to be in the government handing out the common stuff, and they are always going to be tempted to funnel a little extra to their family and friends on the side, and then hold back from someone they just don't like. And before you know it, it gets discretionary. And the saying is, he who holds the purse strings has the power. Mm -hmm. So every attempt at everybody owning everything equally always ends with a deep state bureaucracy passing out favors to their friends, ruled by the most corrupt guy at the top, a dictator. And people say, well, wasn't the early church socialist? No, the early church was the early church. The socialism is counterfeit early church, and Mm -hmm. the differences between the word voluntary and involuntary. So the early believers voluntarily sold their property, laid the money at the feet of the church to distribute. They didn't have the government take away their property and be forced to put it at the feet of Pilate for the government to distribute. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, every family was given property. If you own property, you can accumulate stuff. The Bible called that being blessed. And you can be moved upon to give away some of your stuff. The Bible called that charity. Well, Lenin said socialism is a transition phase to communism, and Karl Marx says communism can be summed up in one sentence, abolition of private property. So if you don't own anything, how can you be charitable? How can you give away what you don't have? What, are you going to steal from somebody, break the law, and now you're a thief? No, God entrusts you with stuff and then gives you opportunities to manifest on the outside the love of God that's in your heart. Well, I know when you look at the book of Acts, you're absolutely correct. They had everything in common, but it was not mandated by an atheistic government. And there's a big difference. They saw a need. They loved one another. They loved Jesus. And they figured that we're going to help each other. But that is certainly not socialism. But I've often heard that passage in Acts chapter 4 thrown in my face to say that the early church was a socialist arrangement. That is false. Yeah, it's interesting. God gives commands to five groups, 
individuals, families, business, church, and government. Individuals, among other things, are commanded to take care of the poor. The Good Samaritan story and when, Lord, were you naked and we clothed you? You know, commands to the family are mostly relational. Husbands, love your wives. Children, submit to your parents. Business commands are do an honest day's work and don't hold back wages. The church was commanded to take care of the poor, and historically they did, immediately feeding orphans and widows and starting medical clinics and eventually starting all kinds of hospitals and schools. Do you know there's no command for the government to take care of the poor? The command to the government's the shortest, protect the innocent, punish the guilty. There's no command for the government to be involved in health care, no command for the government to be involved in education. What's happened is the government has usurped the church's role. Mm-hmm. And because we're ignorant of this, we let it. There's a great quote from Calvin Coolidge. He says, it does not follow that because something ought to be done, the national government ought to do it. Hmm. We need to take care of the poor. Yes, we do, but it's not the government's job. We need to take care of the immigrants. Yes, we do, but it's not the government's job. Right? Gerald Ford said, people say, why don't you expand that program and spend more federal money? I look them in the eye and say, do you realize a government big enough to give us everything we want is a government big enough to take from us everything we have? And so basically socialism is a bait and switch for a dictatorship. What if older fish could tell younger fish to stay away from shiny things dangling in the water? (laughs) Well, they can't. And so every new generation of younger fish sees the shiny thing, they're attracted and caught. Socialism is a shiny thing dangling in the water. Free food, free clothes, free education, free welfare. Free is attractive, but there's a hook there. You give up your life, you give up your freedom, you give up control. And so the idea is that God entrusts you with stuff, and then you have the opportunities to give it away. It's all voluntary. When the Bible says, thou shalt not steal, that teaches the ownership of private property. And it seems to me that God is the one who gives us things. That's why it's mine. He gives it to me. I'm to be a good steward. And so if somebody steals my bicycle, he's really challenging God because God is the one who is the author of every good and perfect gift that comes from him. In the book, I go through four stages that the pilgrims had a covenant form of government that they got from ancient Israel. And a covenant is you get rights and blessings from God, and you voluntarily take care of your neighbor because you're doing it as unto God. Well, in the century after the pilgrims, you have the Age of Enlightenment, and covenant turns into social contract with an impersonal God. This comes out of the scientific revolution, where you had Kepler discovering laws of planetary motion, And you had Isaac Newton discovering laws of gravity and Robert Boyle discovering laws of pressure. And so some theologians said, well, gee, maybe God made everything with laws. And like a guy makes a complicated clock with gears and winds it up and sets it on a shelf, maybe everything's just following these laws of nature. And if God's there, he's distant. He's impersonal. He's not involved in our day-to-day lives. The ultimate of this is don't bother praying because it's not going to change any of these laws. And God's an impersonal force in the universe. But anyway, you go from the Pilgrim Covenant to an Age of Enlightenment social contract with a distant God to the French Revolution, which is social contract with no God. You get your rights from the state, and you're accountable to the state. And after that, you have socialism and Marxism, where the state is God, and the state can decide if you live or die. So you go from 
this covenant to social contract with an impersonal God, social contract with no God, to the state is God. And the change really came clear with the French Revolution. And the motto of the French Revolution sounds nice. Liberty, equality, fraternity. But it doesn't work. Liberty is experienced individually, and fraternity is their word for socialism. It's the state, the collective, the mob. And equality can be understood two ways. In America, it was equal treatment before the law. In France, it was everyone having an equal amount of stuff. Mm -hmm. And if the fraternity, the group, the collective, thinks you have too much stuff, it can trample your individual liberty, confiscate all your stuff, equity, and redistribute it, and even cut your head off. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so the voluntary versus involuntary is sort of like a big deal with God, and it's the contrast between the early church and socialism, and socialism is counterfeit early church. Well, when you look at the Declaration of Independence, speaking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and when I look at Planned Parenthood, when I look at so many in our government today who are pushing abortion, you know, life is such a wonderful gift. I mean, we can't enjoy freedom. We can't enjoy the pursuit of happiness if we don't exist or if somebody kills us. And I think scientifically, the unborn baby is still a human being. I remember one time several years ago, I used to live in East Tennessee next to a national forest. We had quite a bald eagle population in the mountains. The federal government passed a law, if you destroy a bald eagle egg, that's a $10,000 fine because the egg is a potential bald eagle. Well, why don't we apply that to the unborn baby? That's a potential airline pilot, a potential pastor, a potential scientist who might even find a cure for cancer. They're so inconsistent. It's so true. The subtitle of my book is quite fascinating, How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. And so I go through the most common form of government in all the world's history is kings, that power wants to concentrate into the hands of one person. And you have Pharaoh, Caesars, Kaiser, Sultans, Tsars. Throughout history, the power keeps concentrating. And with military advancements, these dictators can kill more people. And with technological advancements, they can track and control more people. Right. The King of England became the biggest at the time of America's founding, and America's founders broke away and flipped it and made the people the king. So democracies and republics are attempts to take the power of the king and give it to the people. In other words, our Constitution is simply a document to prevent a president from ruling through mandates. Mm. That's all the Constitution is. It's to take the power of one person ruling and separate it into three branches, separate it at federal and state level, and tie up this federal Frankenstein with ten handcuffs, the first ten amendments. All the Constitution is is a document to keep a president from ruling through mandates and executive orders. So if democracies and republics are attempts to take the power of one person and separate it, what if that person wants the power back? Does he just ask for it? No. So there's two methods. One is fear. When people are afraid, they will trade freedom for security. And the other is free stuff. The dictator is so nice, he's giving you free stuff until you get hooked. It's like a drug dealer takes over a neighborhood two ways. He can come in with guns and shoot, and people get in fear, and they'll trade their freedom for being left alive. But the other is free stuff. The drug dealer is so nice, he's giving away free drugs until you get hooked. And then you want some more free drugs? Well, you're going to have to give up control of your life and sell yourself into prostitution. 
right? And so there's two methods. There's a front door, back door approach. Like a hunter, he catches animals through guns or bait. You can come in the front or you have bait and you trap them. There's even some scriptures, fear of man bringeth a snare. So right. when you're in fear, you will get in a snare, trapped. But the other is when every man is tempted, when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So you can be caught that way. And so in the book, I go through all the instances of people intentionally creating fearful situations or capitalizing on fearful right. situations in order to get the people to panic and then to take away their freedoms and revert back to a dictatorship. Well, lately, Bill, I've noticed that there have been an increasing number of UFO reports. And, you know, you just spoke about fear. It seems to me that we may be on the verge of some great disclosure that these little green men are going to take over the world and everybody's going to be afraid to die to meet one of these green men. I mean, I can see this UFO reporting. It's becoming more and more common. There's something going on, no doubt about it. It seems to me that a government that is moving in the direction of absolute control, tyranny, can use the UFO phenomenon in a way that people will do just about anything to stay alive and not to be zapped by a little green man from the moon. Many people that are familiar with the DARPA, this Mm. advanced weapons system, anything that you see out there today, they are 20 years in advance. There's a good chance that a lot of that stuff is just advanced technology that's being experimented on. But nevertheless, fear. 1938, radio drama, War of the Worlds. Mm, Orson Welles says, we interrupt this program to announce that New Jersey is being invaded by Martians. The entire country panics in fear. And it was a phenomenon that was studied. How can you have mass fear to manipulate the public to give up their freedoms? And this was studied during World War II with Joseph Goebbels in Germany. And how do you control the mind of a country? Well, in the 1890s, marketing was Sears Catalog, Wells Fargo Wagon. And they would list everything about a sewing machine. And in the early 1900s is when they invented magazine ads. And the classic was Crisco. Nobody knew what was in Crisco. They invented a term called vegetable-based. It was so successful, it put out of business the lard industry, where they render fat from animals and use it for soap and so forth. Crisco, what is it? It's cottonseed oil. They had mountains of these cottonseeds that they got from, you know, harvesting cotton in the deep south, and they would mush it into black, mucky oil that they would use in factories and machinery. Nobody ate that stuff, but somebody had the idea of bleaching it and then having this ad campaign, and we've all eaten it. So you go from knowing everything about a sewing machine to nothing about a product, but you buy it because it looks like everybody's eating it. Well, this was called Keeping Up with the Joneses, and there was a cartoon in the New York paper, but it was actually pioneered by... Edward Bernays, Hmm. nephew of Sigmund Freud. Edward Bernays wrote a book in 1928 called Propaganda and later changed the name to Public Relations. Hmm. But he was talking about women's shoes. And so Edward Bernays says, the women go into a store and think they're picking out shoes when they're not. The shoes were picked out for them. The marketing executive picked the shoes, paid the actress to put them on, paid the photographer to take the pictures, paid to have those pictures in the magazine ads, and then paid to have the magazine ads spread around the country, and the ladies read them and buy the shoes. And he says, a larger manufacturer of women's shoes as a popular actress wear the shoes, the fashion spreads. The man who injected this idea into the shoe industry was ruling women in one department of their social lives. 
He says, today the minority has discovered a powerful help in influencing the majority to mold the minds of the masses to find in propaganda a tool which is increasingly powerful, regimenting the public mind. So he writes a book called The Engineering of Consent. So we're a country of rule by consent of the governed. But what if you can engineer the consent? He says, the manipulation of opinion of the masses those who manipulate this unseen mechanism constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. Wow. Wasn't Bernay involved in getting women to smoke or involved in women's suffrage? Oh, yeah. He was pushing all kinds of products and going to other countries, and then even his tactics were used in coups. And so this is manipulating the public mind when it comes to swaying them politically. So all you do is you take selling of shoes, how do you manipulate a whole lot of people? Think of all the millions of dollars that go into Disney and getting these little kids to want to buy lunch boxes with an action figure on it and pajamas with an action figure and Happy Meals with an action figure. And I mean, millions of dollars are being spent and made on influencing a little kid's mind. Right. And now they're taking all of that marketing ability and saying, we're going to groom these children sexually. It is a powerful tool that they have, and who in the world would want to subject their children to this? But they are using it politically, and that's why they want to have Facebook, Twitter, and all these other ones to censor voices that they don't want, and then to put an agenda out in front of the public that they do want. Well, it seems that with all the manipulation that's going on, this is very draconian to say the least, but we've got an added factor, and that is the fact that people are departing from the Bible, so people really have no conviction. So many people have no morality, just about anything, whatever we want, whatever we desire. There's no boundaries. There's no standards. There's no morality. And then with all of the brainwashing that's going on, and you were speaking about Bernays, this is a very, very dangerous situation, and we're happy that people like you are exposing it all. We'll have more from Bill Federer on the history of socialism on tomorrow's program. Is socialism the dream of an ideal society? Is it a wonderful utopia? or a totalitarian nightmare? Is the form of government the problem, or is the problem deeper? And what is the only real solution? Find the answers to these questions and more in Bill Federer's eye-opening book, Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. Order today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order anytime online swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Author Greg Patton has some needed encouragement on today's installment of Living in Today's World. I've been thinking a lot about what's happening to this country. Now think about these things, my friend, because it's very important. What's going to happen to America? What is truth? You shall know the truth, it'll set you free. A good reading today might be 2 Timothy 3.1. In the end times, and they're coming. It will be terrible in those last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Tell me we're not there. Lovers of money and boastful people and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents. My goodness. 
It's never been like this, has it? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good for sure. The Bible says the last days on earth are going to be filled with tragedy, and there's not much good news in the world right now, is there? Doomsday bearing down on America? Think about it. In the minds of many, sure. Others see the future as providing more fantastic opportunities. Things are wonderful, especially in the last two years. Opportunities at every hand. New inventions happening. Microchip technology. Levels of communication and efficiency that most never dreamed of. It's a great day in America. Is it? While technological advances continue to impress us, there's also the ever-growing dark side of man. Read Jeremiah 17, 9. Man's nature is being revealed in his misrule of the planet. Poverty, war, ethnic tensions continue to worsen. Even in the United States of America, the nation widely recognized as the most powerful and influential nation of the free world. It's currently experiencing difficulties, right? How many people are behind President Trump? How many people were behind President Obama? Who really is the leader? So what does the future hold? Will technology be used to bring about recovery, or will it be used by evil-minded men to bring about our demise? According to the Bible, what will happen to America? You know, the majority of people who settled in this country have a unique connection to the biblical patriarch Abraham and his descendants. You can read in Genesis 48, 13 through 16, explaining how Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson, was sold into slavery by his brothers, yet became a powerful ruler in Egypt. Joseph's two sons, Ephraim, Manasseh, received from their grandfather Jacob a special blessing, did they not, that had previously been passed down from Abraham? Prophecies in the Bible reveal that these two brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh, would rise to prominence. Today, the descendants of those two are largely the peoples of Great Britain and the United States, respectively. To understand what's going to happen to America, you have to study biblical prophecy directed toward Manasseh. The Bible prophesies that the descendants of this man would become a great nation, and that the descendants of his brother Ephraim would become a multitude of nations, Genesis 48, 19. The United States and Britain and some of its former colonies, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, are the nation and a group of nations that best fit this biblical description. We have really been blessed here in America. As far as military prowess and physical blessings go, the Bible says that in the last days, the descendants of Joseph would be exceptionally blessed above all other nations, even their own brethren, and other nations that would rise from Abraham's descendants, Genesis 49. These prophecies have come to pass, just as God said. And the United States, hey, it's unusual, summarizing the physical resources of this country, such as the American geography. It's an impressive one. The Great Mississippi Basin, together with intercoastal waterways, has more miles of navigable internal waterways than the rest of the world combined. The American Midwest is both overlaid by this waterway and is the world's largest contiguous piece of farmland. The U.S. Atlantic coast possesses more major ports than the rest of the Western Hemisphere combined. Two vast oceans insulated the United States from Asian and European powers. Deserts separate the United States from Mexico to the south. Lakes and forests separate the population in Canada from those in the United States. The United States has capital, food surplus, physical insulation in excess of every other country 
in the world by an exceedingly large margin. Sure it does. And people continue to wonder, why does God bless the United States despite all of our evil here? The U.S. is a powerful nation with abundant fertile land, a good climate, and laws that allow for creativity and investment in hard work and the ability to enjoy the fruits of one's labor. But in spite of the United States' blessings, my friend, poor decisions by leadership through the years have threatened the way of life of so many Americans, those that have come to enjoy this old world. Irresponsible increases in debt and entitlement programs that cannot possibly be sustained at current levels of taxation or problems passed on from one generation to the next. You take care of that. Most of those listening to this radio broadcast are Christian, are conservative in their ideas and philosophies. And one of the dangers of all of this stuff, especially politically, is getting your eyes off of God and onto a man. Remember, God is in charge. One of the questions on the minds of so many people, you're hearing it day in and day out on Christian radio. Are we there? Is Jesus coming soon? What do you think? Solomon wrote, everything under the sun is meaningless, like chasing after the wind, Ecclesiastes 114. Do you ever feel like that's happening? Everything in your life is meaningless? You're chasing the wind? No wonder you can get depressed in the world today. And no wonder I asked the question as we started, can a Christian be depressed anymore? Anytime you wake up, <laughs> read something, watch the news. You go into a state of depression because there's so much confusion in the world today and in the United States. And who is the author of confusion? Yeah, I know that you're strong spiritually, but I'm telling you, my friend, anybody, anytime can get into a state of depression. Turn to the author and finisher of your faith. Most of our lives, hay, wood, and stubble. What really counts? The Bible says only those things done for Christ will last. Everything that we see is going to be the hay, wood, and stubble that's going to burn. And those precious jewels, the things that you do for Jesus. In just the last week, how many things have there been? Yeah, depression, it's real in more ways than one. But my friend, we have someone very special, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. He is not an answer, as most of us know. Oh, no, he is the absolute answer, period. Have you ever been saved? Good start today. Trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for whosoever, that's you, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why not do it today, my friend? Bill Federer's eye-opening book, Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. Order your copy today when you call toll-free 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order anytime online, swrc.com. Is there a difference between socialism and communism? Learn about the political tactics of deconstruction, psychological projection, and seizing the moral high ground. Socialism, the real history from Plato to the present by Bill Federer. Order your copy today. Simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online today, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. 
Tomorrow, we continue our look inside the history of socialism with historian and author Bill Federer. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by simply subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Please visit swrc.com. Thank you.